0: Today we are beginning, uh, or we're continuing this series on 1 Corinthians, and today it's called Messy Church, Um, and uh, it's 1 Corinthians 5, Um, and we are going to ask God to speak us, to make us teachable. Um, When we're hard, we can't do much with us. When we're soft and pliable, he can do something with us. It says, he's the potter, we're the clay. You got nothing with hard clay. So let's pray. Lord, we pray by your Holy Spirit that you would soften us to your spirit, that you would speak to us. We thank you that you meet us in a moment. You've been, you are with us right now. You're the God of now. And Holy Spirit, Come. And soften our hearts that we will respond to you. And Jesus, you will be the centre. Amen. 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 My mum always used to say, life is about making a mess and clearing it up again. (laughs) And uh, Charlie Mackesy, the artist and author of the bestseller, very big bestseller, The Boy, The Mole, The Fox and the Horse tells a story of when he met the Queen Mother, and they were looking at a painting together. And it was just him and the Queen Mother. And uh, they stood there, and he apologized because he was looking very unkempt. His hair, his his hair was all over the place. His clothes were all over the place. And he apologized to the Queen Mother. And she said to him, oh, everyone's a mess, Charlie. Inside and out. Don't worry about that. The church at Corinth was seriously messy. And churches are intended to be messy because they involve people. The likes of you and me. Everyone's a mess. Said the Queen Mother. And we come here because we're a mess and we want to clean it up and clear it up. But there's a massive problem when the church stops wanting to clear up the mess. And that's what happened at Corinth. Get that next slide up. Let's remember the context. We've had a bit of the context already. Corinth in Greece was a bustling seaport uh, in Greece. It's a relatively new build city. The Romans had destroyed it in 146 BC, and it was rebuilt by Julius Caesar in 44 BC and then repopulated as a Roman colony. And uh, that man Julius Caesar, he was a, he used to get around a lot because literally just 10 years earlier, here he was down in Kent at Pegwell Bay, coming to England, and that's the connection. You know, this is real history uh, that was happening, and, and that tells us um, that uh, uh, you know, Caesar had, cre- uh, had started this uh, city, and that's the one we're going to be looking at today, and, and Corinth was a very cosmopolitan city had many Jews in it. They had their own synagogue. Um, there were Greeks there uh, who um, gave uh, the, the sort of architecture, and the philosophical outlook to the city. And the inhabitants worshipped both Greek and Roman gods, uh, such as Poseidon, the god of the sea, or Aphrodite, the goddess of love. In fact, in Corinth, there was a massive temple to Aphrodite, and it housed 2,000 priestesses who were effectively prostitutes since the worship there involved intercourse with the priestesses. So you get this word, which we've heard the last couple of weeks, to Corinthianize. And that means basically to have uh, promiscuous, uh, promiscuous sex. And that was quite common, as you can tell, in Corinth. The city was populated uh, predominantly by freedmen, that means people who'd been slaves, who'd either earned their way out of slavery or uh, bought it in some way. And Paul says about the church, to the church members that they were not of noble birth, obviously many of them ex-slaves. And he said they were very ordinary. He says in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 10, he says this, and lists all sorts of sins that were part of the Corinthian believers' former lives. He said they had been sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, homosexual offenders, thieves, greedy, drunkards, slanderers, and swindlers. So, just like City Hope. (laughs) Makes you feel at home. And that's messy church. You see, the church is a hospital for sinners. It's not a museum for saints in stained glass. And whatever you have done or whatever has been done to you, remember God, our Father, has his arms wide open to you. Just as the Father had his arms wide open to the prodigal son and he was looking out for him, and that's our God. And that's who we are. In Acts 18, it tells us how Paul set up this brand new church completely from scratch. And he'd come from elsewhere in Greece. He'd come from um, uh, Thessalonica up in the north, Berea, uh, and Athens, which wasn't very far away. And he'd faced an awful lot of opposition. So he turned up in Corinth all by himself. And I think he was skint because it tells us in Acts 18 that he had to go off to work and he was a tent maker. So he set up business with a guy called Aquila and his wife Priscilla. And they were in business together. And these guys had only themselves, I think they had a heart of gold. Because they'd not also been kicked out of Rome because they were Jews. And they arrived in Corinth and they put Paul up. So Paul, homeless and skint as he started the church. And what's quite interesting is that we can corroborate the dates for all of this. If we can get Mr. Claudius up, there he is. We can corroborate the dates for this because we know from Roman records that the Jews were kicked out of Rome around AD 50. And so Aquila and Priscilla end up in Corinth, being kicked out of Rome, end up with Paul to start the church. Isn't that interesting? AD 50, 30, uh, sorry, 20 years—just 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. You see, our faith is set in history, in a time and place, and in people's lives. The bottom line is uh, that Paul uh, began to uh, preach the gospel every uh, uh, every Sabbath, which was a Saturday. He would go to the synagogue. Uh, in Corinth. uh, And he would preach that Jesus was the Messiah. He would preach that Jesus is the only way to receive eternal life. Uh, But it didn't work out very well because the people of Corinth started to oppose him. And so Paul decided to say to them in uh, either Greek or Hebrew, pot on you. I'm out of here. I'm going to speak to the Gentiles. And that's what happened. In fact, He went right, literally next door. He went out of the synagogue, turned right, and uh, right there was a guy called Titius Justus, who was a Gentile Christian, and he set up church in his house right next door to the synagogue. And what was interesting is that the synagogue leader then turned up one of the following weeks with his family and they became Christians as well. And so the bottom line is, a good number of people became Christians in this house uh, in Corinth, and Paul stayed there 18 months, a year and a half, uh, teaching them about Jesus and helping them to understand what a fantastic church was like, job done, 18 months, move on. Well, not exactly, uh, because what happened uh, was that Paul had moved to uh, Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey, uh, and uh, then he began to hear that the church in Corinth was beginning to go pear-shaped. And uh, he couldn't just hop on a flyby, even then, um, or a train, or come over to Corinth. So he started to write letters. Um, so he couldn't fix it himself, so he started to write letters. That's where we get our letter of Corinthians from. And last week we heard from uh, Sarah how Paul began to address the division in the church because they were beginning to follow certain leaders rather than Jesus. And the church wasn't going well at all. But this week, chapter 5, we move on to the first of his sex talks. That's where we are today. And uh, we already knew that life was pretty spicy. I've told you about uh, the uh, Temple of Aphrodite. Uh, It was pretty spicy in Corinth, but you wouldn't Expect thing, you, you would sorry, you would expect things to be much better in the church, but it wasn't. It was actually worse. So Jackie's gonna read for us so you'll hear her, her lovely dulcet voice coming up from the first row. Here we go. Oh let me move on, sorry, Jackie. One second.
1: It is actually
0: reported
1: that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans
0: do not tolerate. The, the Greek word, the ancient Greek word uh, for sexual immorality is Panea obviously where we get our word pornography from. And basically it means sexual, any sexual activity outside of marriage. And in Corinth then, as in London now, sex is a god. People think it must be pursued and worshipped at all costs. There's almost this perception if, 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 if you're following the, uh, sex, you're happy, and if you're not, you're sad. Yeah. We have to turn that round. Yeah. It wasn't hard for a Corinthian then and a Londoner now to think you could be religious and yet still act in any way you pleased when it came to sex. Greek culture could matter-of-factly say mistresses we keep for the sake of pleasure... Concubines for the daily care of our body, but wives to bear us legitimate children. And who are are the people who usually suffer when sex is abused? Women and children all the time. Let me be clear, we're not being holier than thou here. We are all a mess. All of us are broken. Yeah. And all of us fit in the sinner's category. All of us are actually in the sexual sinner's category. In Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this. He said, "You have heard that when it was said, do not commit, sorry, you have heard that it was said,Do not commit adultery." But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And on that basis, all of us have sinned in our minds. We too are sexually broken, so we're not pointing fingers today. Because when you point a finger, you know what? Three fingers are pointing back at you. So what exactly is going on in this Corinthian church? Over to Jackie, Would we'll just get this up, please. There you go.
1: A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this?
0: Whew. A man in the Corinthian church is doing something that not even non-Christians would do. He's sleeping with his stepmother. We're guessing it's his stepmother because it says his father's wife, not his mother. The man seems to be unrepentant uh, and wonder, what's all the fuss about? The ancient Roman writer and statesman Cicero said that this type of incest was an incredible crime and practically unheard of. Worse still, the Corinthians, as we read here, they're proud about it and pleased to ignore this man's notorious sin. They thought that it showed the world how tolerant and loving they were. But you don't show love to a, a body by being kind to a cancer. If this was left alone, it would infect the whole church. And Paul says, you should be grief-stricken about it, and put the man out of the church. If we move to the next one, please.
1: For my part, even though I'm not physically present, I'm with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present... Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord.
0: Wow. Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. That sounds pretty tough. What on earth does it mean? Well, simply it means put him out of the church. It means out of God's domain into Satan's domain so that he learns to say no to sin and yes to Jesus. Simple as that. Paul is not talking here about repentant sinners. You're not thinking, oh, crumbs, what have I done? But if we are repentant and we know we're a work in progress, Paul's not saying that here. The, this person clearly thought he was above the teaching of Jesus, not under it. As Christians, if we think we are not work in progress, then we do have a big problem. Yes, when we become Christians, we put ourselves into God's hand. And that doesn't mean we're pulling God and the church in another direction. Hey, I I thought you said uh, it's a messy church, so everyone's a mess. Yes, but if we don't keep clearing up the mess, we have a big problem. Not only did the Corinthian church not want to clear up the mess, they boasted about it. If We go to the next slide.
1: Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are.
0: You know the phrase, get rid of the bad apple. You know, If you have one bad apple in your fruit bowl, it begins to affect all the other apples and they all go off. If we don't deal with bad things in our lives, everything can become rotten and we all know that. But the Jews had another metaphor for this, another way of expressing it, and it was this. Get rid of the old leaven or yeast. Now, yeast, we know, makes bread rise, but in the ancient world, they used leaven, which was basically a pinch of dough left over from a previous batch, as you make in sourdough today. And so, basically, you would put, get some new dough over here, get a a bit of leaven, which was from the old piece, and put it in, and it would start a fermentation process to make the bread rise. And if this was used week after week, month after month, there would be increased danger of infection, know about that, or food poisoning. So, every year, all Jewish people would do a complete spring clean at Passover. They got rid of every last bit of leaven from their houses. So what's Paul saying here? Get rid of the leaven, get rid of the yeast. He says, church, you need a complete spring clean. Get rid of the leaven, get rid of the sin in your own house. Next slide, please. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been
1: sacrificed Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread, leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity
0: and truth. So Passover time, get rid of the leaven. Passover time was the time that Jesus went to the cross, when the Son of God died for our sin. If we want to get rid of sin, who do we go to? The one who died for us at Passover time. That's how seriously God treats sin, that he should send his son to die on our behalf. It's not to be trifled with, it took Jesus to the cross. If we go to the next slide.
1: I wrote to you in my letter, not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, in that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, a slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside expel the wicked person from among you.
0: Jackie just read, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? It looks like the Corinthian Christians have got things everything upside down and back to front. Paul had to spell it out. Don't start judging non-Christians. Sort yourself out. We are not uh, to put Christian expectations and standards on people who are not Christians. It's not fair. It's not our business, that's God's business. Of course, we want to befriend everybody, uh, all sorts of people outside the church, because somebody befriended us. Just look at Jesus who welcomed all sorts, all contenders. Who were the ones he spent his time with? Outcasts, adulterers, drunkards, swindlers, prostitutes. That's who Jesus spent his time with. He wasn't judging them. He was there befriending them. There's so much in this passage, but there's just one thing I want us to focus on. We at City Hope, you and me, need to stay teachable. We need to stay soft and pliable. We bend to him, not him to us. We place ourselves under his command, not him under ours. Let me use another illustration, if we could put this up, please. Some time ago, Jackie had a picture in her mind of someone doing a jigsaw puzzle. Uh, Everything was in place, but they had just one last piece to fit in. And they were turning it this way and that way, up and down, but it just wouldn't fit. Then she felt God say, it was like someone trying to fit Jesus into their life, just like a jigsaw piece and they couldn't do it. And that's because they had the whole thing completely wrong. She saw that Jesus is the complete picture And that this person was actually the jigsaw piece that needed to be placed into him. The big picture is Jesus, not me. The big story is about him, not me. Don't get it the wrong way around. We need to fit to Jesus and not try and fit him into some small gap in our lives. Paul was telling the Corinthian church that they had to get rid of sin and pride and humble themselves under the lordship of Jesus. His word goes. And that's what we need to do here at City Hope. I want us to read just one more passage, if we just move to that, please. And it's from another letter written by John, and it's 1 John 1 5 to 9.
1: from all sin if we claim to be without sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us if we confess our sins he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from
0: all unrighteousness so what happens if we confess our sins he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What happens when we begin to walk in the light? Things change, we change, God restores us, He brings back joy. We begin to see His purposes more clearly. And here's the good news. That seems uh, th- that is what seems to have happened to the man who is sleeping with his stepmother. Because Paul wrote another letter called uh, 2 Corinthians. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, it seems to tell us that this man had repented, that this man uh, had put things right, had stopped that relationship. And he appears that, um, and so it tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, it says, Paul now writes to the church about this very man we started off with. He says, you ought to forgive him and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. Let's examine ourselves. Let's ask Jesus to clear up the mess in our own lives. In a, just a few seconds, I'm going, to read this, I'm going to say this prayer, and this is what I'll, I'll say. I said, Jesus, will you wash me clean of all my sin and fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit? I give my life afresh to you and ask you to fit me into your great purposes and big plan. I am yours. If that is where you are today and that's what your prayer, I'd like you to stand and I'm going to pray a line and then we'll respond to that. So if that's you, do stand and we will pray that together. Jesus, Jesus, will you wash me clean of all my sin and fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit? I give my life afresh to you and ask you to fit me into your great purpose. And into, your plans for my life. and into your
1: plans for my
0: life. I am yours. I am yours. Amen. Amen. Today, uh, the band's just going to come up and we're going to pl- have that last song again. But the, today uh, may have raised a whole bag of questions for you personally. There is no taboo subject uh, with God. We can talk to God about anything. There's no taboo subject here at City Hope. I just encourage you to seek God, search the scriptures, talk with me or the other elders or your connect group leader. Know that God's grace and mercy is for you. We're going to sing. Can we just sing about God's mercy first and then move into that song?